Good morning. As always, wonderful to see each and every person here today. Uh, let me share just a couple of things. One, uh, echo Nick. Uh, it was an incredible weekend uh, for those who participated in our marriage conference. And as the next one is made available, I hope uh, even more will take that opportunity. Let me also say this. Uh, next week, uh, we will make uh, available to each and every person uh, an opportunity where you can give as uh, I, I know so many of you are, are watching, uh, as the world is, just all the, the tragedy there in Turkey unfolding, and uh, my goodness, now I have over 25,000 casualties, I believe. Um, but we, uh, Southern Baptists, are on the field. They're on the ground, and through the SIN Network, uh, we are going to partner together to best determine the greatest needs they have so uh, we can be the hands and feet of Christ in that place and in this time of destitute for them. We'll have more information throughout this week specifically. Uh, some things that have changed there, some security measures and other things also, but certainly we will be taking offering uh, next week and, and, and continue that offering for an extended time. So you can give to help support uh, those efforts in that relief. Let me also say this. Uh, let me share with you our newly elected deacons for this year. Uh, our Kent Browning, uh, Rick Reif, Gail Sharp, and Sean Sullivan. And Phil Tawney is our alternate that year. Now, this year. Now, with that said, uh, you can open our church app this morning, and all of the deacons, their family photos and bios, and all kinds of neat information about them uh, is available in there, and, and that will be uh, on our church app for for some time now. But please take an opportunity just to familiarize yourself with the the deacons and their families here at church. We're so blessed each and every year to have uh, incredible families serving this church. Well, let's jump in this morning. We're continuing our study in Genesis, as, as it says, in the beginning, right? Uh, you, for those who are following along on our reading plan, you find yourself, and that's available online in the church app as well as in the scripture uh, notebooks that we handed out in the first few weeks of the year. Uh, but you'll find yourself in week six, believe it or not, uh, of, of this study. And as you prepare, as you open up this morning, uh, let me um, share another word. I, you know, you read a lot of things throughout the week, and, and I couldn't help, but of course today is a very special day, right? It is our Sabbath and our day of worship. Uh, for others, they're notating another thing, a sporting event that may happen this evening, and that's fine too. But I was reading a story in regards to that, and it was uh, about a man who his entire life, kind of his bucket list, uh, was to go to the Super Bowl, right? But not just go to the Super Bowl, he wanted to be on the 50-yard line. Well, as, as you know, that takes uh, that, that, those tickets aren't easy to get, and they're certainly not cheap to get. So really, spent his entire life saving and going through all the effort to, to finally nail it down and get his 50-yard line seat for the Super Bowl. Well, you can imagine how excited he was. He, he gets there, I mean, when the gates are open, does the tailgating and everything, and, and he arrives, and he's just enjoying the, the stadium, is continually getting uh, more and more full by, as every second passes. And, and now it, it's about time for the national anthem, and he can't help but to notice that the seat directly next to him was empty. Right? And, and he was shocked by this, and he asked the man uh, on the other side of the empty seat, he, he, he said... Uh, is anyone sitting here? Are you holding that for someone? And the man simply responded and said, no, the, the seat's actually empty. The man says, well, man, that, that is incredible. Who in, in the right mind would, would have this seat for the Super Bowl on the 50-yard line and not use it at all? The other man responded. He said, well, actually, the seat belongs to me. I was supposed to come with my wife, but she unexpectedly passed away. 
This will be the first Super Bowl that we haven't been together since we got married in 1967. I was also the first Super Bowl. Well, the man hearing that just, just felt so bad. He said, bro, I'm, I'm so sorry. He said, that's just, that's terrible. He said, but I, I can't help but ask, bro, you, you couldn't find anyone that would take the seat, like a friend, a relative, a, a neighbor, or someone that's close to you? The man just kind of bowed his head and said, no, they're all at the funeral. Um, that's awful, isn't it? Um, you, you, but you, you know, sometimes if we're not careful, we can worship the wrong things. Amen. Now, I'm not knocking on Super Bowls. I know a lot of you, we're going to go to some parties ourselves today. Many of our connect groups use this for outreach and everything, and, and that's great. But I think we all can agree that sometimes man is prone to worship the wrong things. Amen. Uh, we, we see that certainly from the very beginning. And last week, we found ourselves in our study in Genesis. We began in chapter 6 and verse 1 and covered all the way through chapter 7 and verse 6. And I said that as we were looking to the flood, last week was part 1 of a two-part little mini-series within this series in the beginning. And what we learned last week that was that the, the earth was just absolutely corrupt. And everything about man, I mean, the Bible said every, every thought that man had was wicked to the core. And so in, in the midst of, of this debauchery, this corruption, this wickedness, God calls Noah to build an ark and with that to invite in the pairs of all the animals and of course his family as well so that they could be saved. And with that, uh, let, let me highlight this too. I got in a little more in the second service. I think I did the first last week. Uh, but with the two and seven pairs that came into the ark, let me notate this too because uh, someone had had a question about that. Uh, but realize it wasn't, you know, for every dog, two yellow dogs, two black dogs, two white dogs, two, you know, uh, two tabby dogs, you know, uh, so on and so forth. Two short dogs, two tall dogs, a chihuahua and a bulldog and a, you know, all these different variations at all, but literally just two dogs. Right, So uh, when you think about all the different animals and everything, that's all it was. And then time would take care of the rest for, for the animals the, as they see all the varieties today. Right Now, while we don't believe in evolution uh, as a Christian, right, we do certainly understand adaptation and multiplication. Right? And, and over time, those species, you would get the many varieties. Look around the room today. Right? Look around. We got some variety here today, don't we? I mean, different sizes, different colors, different kinds of hair, some with no hair. I mean, you know, across the board, right? We have a variety of people in this room today. And when it comes to churches, we're somewhat homogenous even, right? And yet, look at the variety. And just like the animals off the ark, we, we all descended from those three couples that walked off. Now, it's believed that Noah, and the Scripture doesn't teach us that Noah and his wife had any more children after the flood. So certainly his three sons and their wives we all come from them. And look at the variety just in this room. And my goodness, look around the world at the variety of people. Now, the other thing that, that I really didn't get into last week, and I know many have questions, is we just kind of ran out of time. But the question you always get asked, all right, preacher, what about the dinosaurs? Right? Uh, were they on the ark? Uh, can, as a Christian, can I believe in dinosaurs? You know, what about, I see a lot of head shaking and elbows punching. I, I knew he'd ask that. Um, but now let me say this. When it comes to the dinosaurs, the word dinosaur itself, you won't find it in the Bible. And, and the reason you won't find it in the Bible is because it didn't exist until 1841. 
right? Just like you won't find the word Trinity in the Bible. You won't find the word rapture in the Bible. Bring it in a little closer. You won't find the word internet in the Bible. Doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It's just a modern word, right? What you will find in the Bible, though, is a word called behemoth. Right, the, 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 the Job in Job chapter 40, I believe beginning in verse 15 through 19 there, when, when he was referring to the, the, the powerful wild beasts that roam the earth that God created. I believe that does reference dinosaur. Possibly the Leviathan that he, that he references in chapter 41 would also be dinosaurs of the sea. So certainly the, the Bible does speak into that. And you say, well, okay, if that's the case, and we, and we can't believe that then, how did Noah possibly get all those giant dinosaurs on the ark, right? I mean, you, you were talking about the size of the building, but, but come on, man, those, those things are huge. Well, a couple of things there. Remember, first of all, when it comes to the dinosaurs, uh, the giant ones that you see, you know, the two-story tall dinosaurs in the museums and everything, those are a minority of all the dinosaurs, right? Most of the dinosaurs are actually small, even like we see in, in animals today, right? Uh, so, so that was a minority of them. But also understand this, God's a pretty sharp fellow, right? And so if he's going to bring animals onto the ark, he's probably going to bring the juvenile state of the animals on the ark, amen? Right? And even the giant dinosaurs that we see, that they started out small. In fact, did you know the largest uh, dinosaur uh, egg, fo fossilized dinosaur egg that has ever been discovered is about the size of a football. Right, so e even the giants would have started out in a, in a smaller state as juvenile, and, and certainly that's who or that's how God would have brought them onto the ark. So, so we, we can see that. You say, okay, well, you talked about the ark being big enough for all the animals, and I go, okay, the dinosaurs weren't as big if they were on there and all that, depending on what you believe. But let me ask you this. How could Noah have possibly built that monstrosity? Like, how could he do it, right? And simply put this, in 600 years, a guy picks up a thing or two. Right? He was 600 years old when he was called, and you think, man, he was decrepit. No, he was in his prime, right? Uh, he had learned a few things. Can you imagine if you lived six, seven, eight lifetimes more than we do today, how much you would learn, how, 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 how adequate you would be for this simple job, not to mention the fact he had 120 years to complete it. Right? We still, we, we look at things today, my goodness, the, the uh, Roman roads, right? The, the Appian Way, y'all familiar with that? It predates, it was put in place, it was constructed or built, if you will, before Jesus was ever born in the manger. And yet they're still using that road today. We look to the great pyramids, and with all of our education, with all of our information and technology, we look back and we think, how in the world did they do that? Especially with the precision that they pulled it off, right? We still look back at many of the things they did and think, my goodness, I don't know that we could do that today. Easily, Noah could have done this. But don't forget it and don't lose sight. God didn't need the ark. Remember, he chose the ark. And I believe possibly one of the the greatest steps of obedience in the entire Bible had to be Noah chopping down that first tree, didn't it? I mean, it had to be when he goes out, it had never rained before. A hundred miles from the closest ocean, and yet God says build a boat. Can you imagine when he had that ax or whatever he used at that time, cutting down that first tree? Man, that took some faith, didn't it? I mean, that, that was some obedience to follow God's call. And by the way, if you follow Genesis... What you'll discover is that when God called Noah to build that ark, 
Did you know his sons had not been born yet? He was fine solo. He didn't have his sons. He didn't have that. He was all alone. His first, his first son, Japheth, would not be born for another 20 years after God called him to construct it. But by faith and in obedience, no, it did just that. Well, we, we, we closed out our time last week in chapter 7, the first six verses there. And, and it began in 7 uh, verse 1 when it was that time when, uh, when the ark was completed. And do you remember what God said? He said, now, come into the ark. And I said the CSB, which says enter the ark, really doesn't do as good a job there because there is that picture of God saying, now come into where I am. Come into that place where you will be saved. And so today we want to pick up where we left off. And it's going to be part two of our two-part series, which, by the way, could easily be four parts, as you can imagine. Um, but I want us to jump into this text. And what I want us to do, bless you, today, just like we have in previous uh, studies through Genesis is I want to try to answer a lot of the questions that, that just kind of come out of the pages. A lot of the questions we have when we look, especially to the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And as we answer those questions, though, what I want us to do is find ourselves at that place where we understand what the main idea of the text is. You see, in seminary, that's what they teach you. When you study, you always have to keep in mind, and the question you have to ask yourself, what is the main idea of the text? God, being the author of all scriptures, he's writing this through Moses, what, why is this here? Why is God giving us this today? What is the main idea of the text? Now, from that, you, uh, as a preacher, you developed your sermon, and hopefully the main idea of your message will be in line with them with the main idea of the text. Just like last week, you may recall, I said people get hung up on the Nephilim, right? And they want to, oh, let's just, let's talk about that. Let's just camp there. And we spent some time there, right? But the Nephilim was not the main idea of the text, the corruption of the people was the main idea of the text. Nephilim was just a picture of how far man had gone, how corrupt they had become. And so that's what I want us to do today, answer some questions, but then land for us to understand what it is God would have us to understand and respond to today. With that said, let's look then at chapter 7, beginning in verse 10. You can open in the church app. Uh, it's The uh, text is there in your Bible or in our Scripture notebooks. Moses writes this, Seven days later, the floodwaters came on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the sources of the vast watery depths burst open. The floodgates of the sky were open, and the rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On that same day, Noah, along with his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, entered the ark along with Noah's wife, and his three sons' wives. They entered it with all the wildlife according to their kinds, all the livestock according to their kinds. Remember, you didn't have to have every individual one, just one of each kind so that they could then multiply. All the creatures that crawl on the earth according to their kinds, every flying creature, all the birds and every winged creature according to their kinds. Two of every creature that has the breath of life in it came to Noah and entered the ark. Those that entered, male and female, of every creature entered just as God had commanded him. And I want you to underline this last sentence. Then the Lord shut him in. Take note of that. Then the Lord shut him in. The flood, verse 17, the flood continued for 40 days on the earth. The water increased and lifted up the ark so that it rose above the earth. The water surged and increased greatly on the earth. And the ark floated on the surface of the water. When the water surged even higher on the earth and all the mountains under the whole sky were covered, 
The mountains were covered as the water surged above them more than 20 feet. Every creature perished. Those that crawl on the earth, birds, livestock, wildlife, and those that swarm on the earth, as well as mankind. Everything with the breath of the spirit of life in its nostrils, everything on dry land died. He wiped out every living thing that was on the face of the earth, from mankind to livestock, from creatures that crawled to the birds of the sky, and they were wiped off the earth. Only Noah was left and those that were with him in the ark. And the water surged on earth 150 days. Now, this text opens up when it talks about seven days later the flood came. If you remember, if you look back into verse 4 there, it is when God had told Noah that seven days from now, I'm going to make it rain 40 days and everything will be wiped off the earth. Again, he reminds us that it was seven days before it rained, but he had already, remember, invited him at this point to come into the ark. This means that, that Noah and his family, they were in the ark seven days before it ever rained. And why is that important? Friends, that's seven days of those animals coming in, the, the door still open, seven days of having to uh, feed these animals, to clean after these animals, to take care of everything, seven days of living with your in-laws, amen? Uh, seven in tight quarters, seven days of the people still going by and laughing at Noah and his family, ridiculing them. Are you crazy? You keep talking about the rain. You're in the boat. Where's the rain? Seven days of this. And in seven days, we continue to see then the, the faith that Noah had. That when God called him, he went in. And I want you to see this too. Notice his family followed him. Again. In the midst of ridicule, in the midst of no rain, a hundred miles from the nearest ocean. And yet, look at this picture. Noah followed God, and his family followed him. Man, I can't say enough. Listen, if you will step up and step out in faith, if you will rise to that occasion to, to be the spiritual leader of your home, the, the man that God has not only called you to be, but I believe created you to be. Listen, when we will take that mantle of spiritual leadership and not only give it lip service to say that we are, but like we see in the life of Noah, to, to model that to our family, for them to, to see that we are the spiritual leader, to see that we are walking with God, to see that we are following the direction of God. Listen, men, when you will go there, I'm telling you, your family will follow. And we see the, the, the beautiful faith of Noah and then how he, his family come along beside him. In verse 11, then it says that the, after they did, when, when the rains came, it says the, the water came from both above, makes sense for rain, right? But also from below. From not only the sky, but also from the depths that the water came up from the ground. And remember the, the water that, that was above when when God created, he said there was the, the water canopy above the expanse. Do you remember that? And it's that canopy that we believe really gave that kind of greenhouse effect to the earth. It's the reason that everything lived for so long, right? But probably the, the greatest contributing factor to that. And so here we have now the, the rain coming out of that, but also the rain coming up. And verse 17, for 40 days... For 40 days, the, these waters came. And verse 20 tells us that as they did, it covered the tallest mountain by more than 20 feet. 
Now, I don't know about you, but when I see numbers and things like that in Scripture, I've got to dig in a little deeper, right? Uh, I see a scientist over here. I, I, I know you do, right, Dr. Hearns? All right, so, I mean, I see that, and I just I want to look at it. And so I had to ask him, how much rain would it take? Right? Uh, how much rain for, for uh, within 40 days and nights of rain to cover the earth? Now, if we assume that sea level today was the same that it was in Noah's day, and likely so, and that Mount Everest Peak has always been the highest point on this earth, and it's over 20,000, like 20,035 feet high, then how much rain would it take to cover that and to cover that possibly by even 20 feet? And the answer is this. It would require 30 feet per hour. See, we think of, oh, it rained and the little rainbow and the dove and the olive branch. 30 feet per hour. That's six inches per minute. And even if, let's say it's coming from, from below and above, let's say it's a 50-50 split, 15 feet an hour, three inches of rain per minute. Now, let's put this in perspective. For those of you that lived here for a little bit, um, Nashville, uh, back in May of 2010, do you remember that? We set uh, an all-time record of rain in a 24-hour period, and it rained nine inches in a day. You remember that when all of Nashville flooded, the Opry Mills and all that? And the, uh, a flood, was it the thousand-year flood? Is that what that was? A hundred-year flood? What was it? Thousand-year flood, right? And the only reason they say that is because they'd just never seen anything like it before, right? Uh, but it, it, it set the record. That was nine inches in a day. Now, just imagine six inches a minute. I mean, that's rain like we, we, our brains can't even go there. Right, like, like fire trucks can't spray that much out, right? That's what was taking place. And because of that, verse 21 says, Then every creature perished, those that crawl on the earth, the birds, the livestock, the wildlife, and those that swarm on the earth, as well as all mankind. I love that Moses paints that picture there because there would be people that say, Well, maybe the birds. No! That much rain coming down, that much water coming up that fast for that many days. Listen, it wiped out everything. And from this flood that was like nothing the world had ever seen before. And, and, and by the way, God reminds us in 821 in the next chapter that he will never do this again. But it's from this, this water surge that, that we just can't even fathom. This is how we get the fossil record today. Right? It, it, it's the flood that gives us this. In fact, the fossil records are the graveyard of the flood. Right? That, that, that's with water coming up that much, water coming down that fast, with, the, with, with it all rescinding, that, that's how we get our fossils. Now, it always just boggles my mind that when people talk about how well that animal just laid there for a million years and it became a fossil. Are you kidding me? Animals decay. Animals rot. Right? Like, I'm sorry, I grew up in the country. Right? I've spent a lot of time outdoors. I've seen a lot of things die. Do you know what happens when something dies, whether naturally or by intervention of something else? When it dies, the bigger things get it first, and the smaller things continue to get it until there's nothing left, right? Other animals come, eat it. They, they drag it around. They separate the bones all over the place. They, they chew on the Even when it's down to nothing but bones, then the squirrels will come and eat the bone to get the calcium out of it, right? Like, there's nothing left. I've got too many farmers in here. You, you guys have seen that. Too many outdoorsmen. In all my years in the woods, and I've spent some time there, I've never been walking around and 
You know that thing's half fossilized right there. Well, look, look at that. It's eventually just, just going to get encapsulated. That doesn't happen in nature. What can happen is when you uh, take a, 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 a living creature of any kind or plant, whatever, and you cover it up in mud and it encapsulate that, you know what will happen every time? It will become a fossil. You'll, you'll have a record of that, right? And so it's the flood that shows us. And by the way, not only that, there are those that say, well, the flood, was that just a localized thing? Absolutely not. You can't read Scripture and believe that the flood was just local, right? It, it was worldwide. And we, we look back at creation. Remember what we said in creation that when God created, he said it, it was good and it was complete. And what he was able to do in an instant, maybe it took thousands of years for nature to create. But we also see that with the flood, right? Now, could it take the Colorado River thousands of years, millions of years? I think they say it took it, what, six million years? Millions of years to carve the Grand Canyon? Maybe so. I guess so. But here's another thing. Do you know when, when uh, Mount St. Helens erupted? Y'all remember that night back in 1980? Following that, they had all these floods. And there was a canyon that to, 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 still to this day you can go visit. is 140 feet deep. And it was carved in a single day. Why? Because all the flood water that rescinded so quickly and, and, and it carved it out. Did you know at that rate, the Grand Canyon could have been carved in 40 days? It's the flood that gives us all of these records, all of these accounts. But I want us to get today, the time we've got left to it, what is the main idea of the text? All of that's there. Listen, I think everything in science always comes back to the Bible. Right? It's the flood that shows us how these things were created. It's the flood that shows us how we got the fossil records. That's why you find sea creatures fossilized on the top of mountains. Right, And you see birds and reptiles all tangled together in the same fossil because of the rescinding waters and the mud that followed. But, but with all that said, as interesting as that is to, to dive into, and sometimes I geek out about that stuff. I don't know if y'all, I, I do, I, I admit that. I know y'all do too. But what's the main idea of the text? What, what is it that we really need to, 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 to get a hold of today to, to grasp and, and to follow in faith and obedience? And I want to take us back to verse 16. Those that entered, male and female, of every creature entered just as God commanded them. Then the Lord shut him in. Verse 22, and after that, everything with the breath of the spirit of life in its nostrils, everything died. Friends, you, you need to get a hold of those two verses. Because I want to tell you what, we've taken the story of Noah and we've made it into this cute little children's story, hadn't we? I mean, the little flannel graph back in the day. You know, you can see the pictures of the boat and the little animals sticking up. As though it's something adorable. Let me tell you something. The flood was 1,656 years after Adam, Adam and Eve were created. It is estimated in that time that our world population would have been at least 3 billion people by the time of the flood. 3 billion... There are 8 billion people on the planet today, right? More than, a, uh, more than a third of that, right? In Noah's day, 3 billion people of all ages, old people, young people, newborns, drowned to death. That's Noah's flood. There was a boy one time. 
he had come to gone to church with it with it, with his grandparents that day and they, they took him to big church you know like we have right now and uh the the, the preacher was talking about noah's flood and everything and uh, on the way home the little boy asked his grandpa he said granddad were you on noah's ark to which the granddad said well no and then the boy asked well well then how did you survive right <laughs> because it's so old um here's the point because i think in children's eyes no one only noah and his family three billion lives were lost you know last week i said the ark was a picture of god's salvation for man that's what the ark is just one big picture of god's salvation for man but friends in that ark was a door and it was through that door that noah and his family had to enter Jesus said this in John chapter 9. This is John chapter 10, verse 9. This is the NASB. He said, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. Friends, the, the ark was a picture of God's salvation for man. The door in that ark was a picture of Jesus Christ. And for everybody there that day, for 120 years, that door was wide open. The text has us to believe for the seven days that Noah waited even, the door was open until the time came when it says the, the Lord shut him in. I, I believe the reason it tells us that God closed that door is because if Noah had done it, then Noah could have opened it. And if Noah could have opened it, then he probably would have when the rains came. When he heard the cries of the people drowning, Noah probably would have opened that door back up but it says that, that God closed that door. Friends, the, the flood, it, it's not some cute little story for our children. The flood, it, it's a picture of judgment. That's what the flood is. It's a picture of judgment on this world that was so corrupt, so far gone, so far fallen. Imagine as those waters were, were rising so rapidly. There were families, there were husbands grabbing their children, putting them on their shoulders, just trying to keep their heads above the water as it continually came up, choking the life out of them. You could imagine people just hanging on to debris that was floating, doing their best to try to survive. As the rains are, the flood is coming up on that ark, you could imagine the people beating on it. Noah, let us in. But it was too late. See, I'm convinced of this today, and especially in America. I believe that, that, that we, at the end of the day, we think this, that in the end, everybody's saved. I really do. I think that if they don't believe it, that's certainly the way we live. Not me, preacher. Really? Who's the last person you shared the gospel with? Because if you really believe that judgment was coming, you'd tell them about Jesus. And that's a condemnation on everyone. It's though that, hey, at the end, as long as they're good. Hey, God's a loving God. At the end, everybody. Listen, the Bible doesn't teach that everyone will be saved. The Bible teaches that everyone can be saved. But they got to enter in. That ark that held all those animals could have got all three billion people on it too. But they had to enter in. Friends, the door of salvation it's open it's open today for as much as it was open for those people for 120 years listen it is open to you today 
Verse 17 told us this, that the water that, that covered and destroyed everything else on earth lifted up the ark. I love that because isn't that a picture of coming to Christ? See, when we come to him, he's going to lift you up. He's gonna, not only is he going to lift you up, he's going to lift you up out of that sin, out of that quagmire, out of that regret that you have. He's going to lift you up, but he's also going to carry you safely home. We come to Christ, just like that ark lifted them up, he will lift us up. Jesus said this two days before his crucifixion in Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 36. He said, now concerning that day and hour, no one knows, talking about that, that time when Jesus will return. They were so worried about when's he going to come again and judge the world, just like we saw in the judgment of Noah and the flood. He said, neither the angels of, of heaven nor even the Son, talking about himself, except the Father alone. As the days of Noah were, so the, so the coming of the Son of Man it will be. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah boarded the ark. They didn't know until the flood came and swept them all away. And this is the way the coming of the Son of Man will be. Isn't that something? Jesus took them back to Noah. By the way, when people say, well, I believe the Bible, I'm a Christian, I believe Jesus, but I don't believe the, the flood, well, then you can't believe Jesus. Jesus believed in the flood. Jesus believed in an ark. And he said, that, that's what it's going to be like. He reminded he said, hey, in those days, before that door was shut, before that, that ark was lifted up, there were people getting married. There were people watching Super Bowls figuratively, right? There, there, there were people, they were high on life. They were having a great time until the door was shut and the rains came. He goes on throughout that purse and he said, that's the way it's going to be when I come again. It's going to be like in the days of Noah. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 11 said that Noah not only listened to God, but but it was by faith that he followed God into that ark. It was by faith that he built that boat. It was by faith that his family followed him in. Friend, what is God calling you today? What is God calling you to do by faith today? Maybe it's salvation, repentance, baptism, restoration with someone else. Uh, maybe it's ministry or perhaps missions. Maybe it's just church membership. What is God calling you to do today? The door is open. But you've got to walk through it. And I know there's a lot of people. You're here today. Maybe you've made that decision. You've made that choice. But, but you've not acted on that. Or you're at that place. You say, I just don't know what to do next. I've prayed. I've asked God to forgive me. I've asked him to save me but I just don't know what to do next. I'm going to close this out in a prayer here in just a second. And at the close of our service today, I would invite you, each and every person, if you're there, you know God is calling you to step out by, in some sort of obedience by faith, that you would come. Let, let, let's share together. Let's talk. Let's pray together so you can know how you can walk in obedience with the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you that the door of salvation is open today. We don't know what tomorrow brings. But we know what we have today. We know the opportunity that's before us. And we don't worry about tomorrow because we know who holds tomorrow. And Father, if there's anyone here today who, 
who doesn't know you. Anyone who, who's wrestling with that decision, maybe it's, it's membership or ministry or missions or whatever the case may be, God, I pray that you would give them the courage. As Noah had to chop down that first tree for them to step out, to come forward, to, to share so that they can walk with you in obedience. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.